You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Welcome to Riverview Church Online. Thanks for tuning in today. Now, the question I want to ask you this morning is, what is more important than worship? It's the title of the message for today. Now, during lockdown, I think one of the things that we've really, really missed so much is corporate worship, the ability to gather together and sing out praise and adoration to the glory of God. And as we come closer to the point where we may gather again, albeit in small numbers and with big restrictions, it seems like a particularly cruel kind of twist that we still won't be able to sing and that will remain in place for some time yet. I mean, the fact that we cannot sing together, I think for some believers, some born again believers, is actually painful. It's it's like holding our breath uh, for too long. Now, if you're not a Christian, that might be a bit of a head scratcher for you. I mean, isn't it the same as any kind of brass band or pipe band or community choir where, I mean, sure, we'd love to meet together again and do our thing. But, you know, we all have to put aside things that we enjoy and make sacrifices in the midst of a global pandemic. Well, I mean, importantly, first of all, I'm not registering a complaint against the guidelines and I'm not refuting any guidance around corporate singing. The virus is real. It's not gone away. And there's still a lot that we don't yet understand about its transmission. And so we do have a responsibility to one another and to our communities. But but the reason I think that this is more than an inconvenience to believers, the reason that it isn't simply like a community choir or a brass or pipe band, is that worship is unfathomably important even to the very core of our purpose and our existence. It's something that will continue beyond our lives in these kind of time-stamped, use-by-date bodies that we have. It actually began when God first breathed a breath into a human being, and it will continue in eternity for eternity. And if we stay silent, the Bible says even the rocks will cry out. In fact, worship is bigger than the act of gathering and singing or playing music together. It's bigger than the location in which we meet or the numbers in which we gather. In a conversation with a Samaritan woman, Jesus said that genuine worship was not about gathering on the mountain that her people believed was sacred or in the city that his people believed was sacred sacred, um, but that true worship, genuine worship, takes place in spirit and in truth. If we're just about singing or social connection or significant kind of location, then we may as well just join a community choir instead. So actually what the title should read is what's more important than the act of worship or the action of worship but I felt that was a bit too wordy so please forgive me for keeping it more succinct. 
and maybe there's some clever clogs among you right now who've just been on our YouTube worship playlist for the morning and you've heard that final song and you're like, ah, I know where he's going with this. I know what the answer is. Well, you'll just have to wait for a minute and see. Uh, if you've got a Bible or an app that you've got the Bible on, then please turn with me to Matthew 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 21 through to 26. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard it said, uh, to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You know, these statements here are actually closely related to a kind of seething anger representing destructive intention, uh, kind of like an attack on somebody's character or identity. And Jesus goes on to say, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Wow, this is a bit of a curveball now, isn't it? Because we were talking about singing and worship, and now we're all about legal cases and character assassination and murderous anger. I mean, what gifts? Well, you know, Jesus is showing here that there is a deeper level than words and actions. That words and actions are actually the unsuppressible overflow of what is going on at a deeper place within us. It's actually relatively easy for us to get to a position in our activities and in our circumstances where we may feel pretty good about ourselves, like, give me a gold star, Jesus, I am rocking life right now. And when a rich young Hebrew came up to Jesus and asked him a question, he was effectively saying, what more could I possibly need to do in order to be perfect? Uh, and he was able to go through some of the, the Ten Commandments with great pride and like a mental sort of tick list that he had in his head, like not committed adultery, tick, honoured mum and dad, brilliant, tick, not murdered anybody without good cause at least, yeah, check, done that. But you know, when Jesus teaches through these things, he brings a new level of meaning and depth that far supersedes mere actions. So you haven't had an affair with another person. Have you ever thought about it with any kind of weight of desire? So you haven't murdered anyone. Well, well done. Not, not even punched or slapped somebody. In fact, you're a pacifist. Well, have you ever felt enraged by somebody else? Have you ever thought how nice it would be if so-and-so got what was coming to them? You know, I've prayed some pretty poor prayers and thought some pretty poor thoughts when I think I've been hard done by, by somebody else. You know, doing it or just thinking it 
really it's the same thing because the root of the thinking and the root of the doing is the same. It's the heart. And, and the only difference really between thinking and doing often is the thinnest veil, the thinnest measure of restraint that we apply. And yet the heart is still the same. Uh, and consequently then the pending judgment for that is the same. Now Jesus's vision penetrates beyond our physical activities and his hearing picks up the tiniest of whispers in the corners of our minds and we're held to account for all of it. Jesus looks into the heart, he looks deeper within, into the heart of us all, into that reservoir from which all of our activities and all of our verbalizations overflow and he knows that there is nothing that is good or healthy within there without his help. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. You know, the biggest problem of all is that under that microscope, we are all guilty. We all fall short. We're, uh, the worst thing of, of all is that we cannot do anything about it. We need corrective surgery, but we cannot apply that to ourselves. But he is also the surgeon who performs that surgery and gives us a new heart that that new heart that pumps new life through our veins into our core that makes it capable of changing the overflow of that heart so that our words and our actions can bring life and truth and encouragement and worship now if you're not a believer you you need that surgery you you need that new heart uh, and the only way to change that overflow from within and avoid the pending judgment for that reservoir is that new heart. It's the only cure. And the best news for you, the good news, is that all you have to do is ask and invite him and he can do it for you today. I just implore you to consider that and come before him. Now, believer, I know that you know that you still mess up, that you still act up. Perhaps you're even painfully aware of it in your own life, you know, that, that you say things that you regret or that you do things that you shouldn't do and that you think things that maybe sometimes even horrify you yourself. Like I sometimes would pray that kind of hellfire and damnation on people feeling self-righteous about something because they've, I don't know, sold me a dodgy motor or something or offended me in some way. And so I have to ask myself, is my heart, this new heart that he's given me, is it pumping his lifeblood around my veins or is it pumping the poisons of anger and bitterness and resentment and regret and unforgiveness? You know, I have a new heart. You have a new heart, but I wrestle with the old flesh. It's, it's a familiar battle with every believer who has ever existed. You know, I have a new heart. I'm clothed in his righteousness. That, that's what makes me worthy to stand before a holy God. That is what enables me to call him 
a father. And yet I still have to choose to walk in that righteousness day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. I still have to choose to let that blood course through my veins. And note, I say walk in his righteousness, not walk in self-righteousness, because I myself cannot be good enough. But his righteousness makes that work in me. I have no righteousness of my own. It's all imputed to me. It's all given to me by the cross, by grace, through faith. It's all given to me like on credit uh, as I believe upon and trust in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ upon the cross and his resurrection to new life in which he also raised us to new life. So that in every respect we are born again. That's where the phrase comes from. First time physically, second time spiritually born. And now how you are with God, how how you are walking with him at this moment in time, how you are keeping in step with his spirit will be clearly visible in your life. It's like a tree that bears fruit next to a tree that bears no fruit and has withered, diseased leaves. It becomes obvious. It's clearly evidenced and perhaps not to those around you. I mean, I can be an absolute master of looking outwardly holy and yet be fully aware of my wretchedness inwardly. I can fool you. I can actually even fool myself like that rich young Hebrew who came before Jesus, but I cannot fool the penetrating power of the word of God. You know, a heart that is sick or dead is distorted and corrupt and murderous and it will produce evidence through thoughts and words and deeds. It will produce the effects of the disease of sin. You know, whatever is inside will leak outside. Whatever your heart harbours will overflow in your words and your actions. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So so too, though, the heart that is made alive in Christ and is being renewed day by day, that heart will produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. The way we think changes, the way we act upon our thoughts changes, uh, perhaps slowly. You know, the way that we feel about our mistakes as we do them, that changes. And the way we confront sin in our lives changes. You know, we care about it more. It matters to us. And the fact is that we will still act out and we will still mess up. This is common to all of us because even with a new heart, we battle with old flesh. You know, I I bet that you don't have to look back too many days to identify something painful, shameful, regretful, wrongful or ugly in your behaviour or thoughts. If you don't, then I'm literally on my own there because I feel like that all the time. So what do we do? Well, we keep short accounts with those around us, whether it's we who are offended and incensed and enraged and insulted by them, or whether it's they who are enraged and offended offended and incensed by 
us. We have to keep short accounts and go from reconciliation. Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not you against them, but them against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come back and offer your gift. You know, the gift that talked about here at the altar is an act of devotion or worship. But, you know, without reconciliation, it's merely a religious act. N.T. Wright, speaking about this, says that reconciliation takes precedence over worship. Now, does this mean that reconciliation is the thing that is more important than worship? Well, not quite for for reconciliation will be completed in time in history but worship will continue for eternity worship is about giving god his absolute due his his absolute worth and worthiness and proclaiming it and ascribing it to him really what could be more important than that you know reconciliation is god's act of mercy to our fallen lost and sinful hearts and it flows from his reservoir of the goodness of his heart worship is ascribing that worth and that glory and that adoration to him for his character for his actions for his mercy for his love for his glory and for his greatness uh, worship is not worship if it doesn't adore the character of God. And worship is not worship if it does not reflect the heart of God. Now listen carefully, you can't reflect the heart of God from a heart that is twisted in bitterness and unforgiveness, a heart that hates another person that is daydreaming of retribution or mentally planning or vocally acting out the character and assassination of another person. Gossip and worship, incompatible completely, because that would fail, uh, it'd be to fail to recognise and appreciate that God has dealt with his hatred of your sin and paid the cost of it by the death of his own son, Jesus Christ. The only reason that you and I stand justified and free is because he raised you to that position on his account through the pain of the brutal death and the cold emptiness of the grave of separation from God that he endured on your account. How then can we dare to presume ourselves to have the right to hold on to bitterness or rage or unforgiveness of those around us who have offended us? You know, if you know today that you have anger or malice or hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness or even disappointment towards somebody else, deal with it now. Deal with it today. Deal with it before you next open your mouth in worship or lift your hands in praise. Uh, and Jesus isn't saying here, really, ideally, if you get to church and quickly remember that you're mad at your car salesman for selling you a dodgy car, you should quickly go find them and sort it out before you sing. He's saying live the life of righteousness that he enables you to live. In other words, walk with him, keep in step with him, make this your every moment lifeblood that is pumping through your veins around you by a beating heart that he has given you. So is my heart pumping his lifeblood around my body or is it pumping the poisons of anger and bitterness and resentment and regret and unforgiveness out? 
It's incompatible with a heart that is of worship. Uh, and the other point here really is who is the one who really has the right to be offended? Who is the one who has really been wronged? David says, against you alone have I sinned, O God. We need to recognise that it is we ourselves who need to meet with God on the way to the courtroom in order that we may settle up and be reconciled to him. And the only way that we can settle up is by allowing Jesus to settle our account for us. So as I wrap up, what is more important than the act of worship? Well, surely the answer is the heart of worship, the authenticity of the way that we worship, a heart made right with God, made righteous by Jesus and walking in righteousness, straining to keep in step. And when we get out of step, coming back into step and making that our desire, our heart's desire in step with his spirit, but also empowered by his spirit. True worship causes us to lift hearts and lift hands in adoration and in awe and in gratitude and in wonder. It causes us to desire to live in step. It's a lifestyle, but more than that, it is a natural overflow of a life that is being transformed, that is in the process of transformation, the ongoing, lifelong process of Jesus sanctifying us. True worship isn't evidenced through the theology of the song that we sing. It is evidenced in the thoughts of our hearts and the overflowing actions from within that give glory to God. True worship is evidenced in your life that that you recognize yourself to be a living stone within the spiritual building of the church not not waiting for the leaders of the church to do church for us but understanding that we are church that where you stand is Jesus's body representative on earth true worship isn't waiting for the band, it's not dependent upon the style, and it doesn't need a skilled worship leader. It doesn't even require your vocal cords at all. True worship is not even a Sunday activity, it's not a CD that you've got in your car or a playlist that you have on Spotify. True worship is evidenced in your life. True worship is how your heart responds to the overwhelming goodness and mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and majesty and greatness and splendour and sovereignty of a resplendent and loving God. You know, if we struggle to worship because we're not able to sing together, then what we are doing when we are together and singing isn't actually worship in the first place. What's more important than the act of worship, the heart of worship. You know, restrictions upon singing are not restrictions upon the heart of worship. I'll bring you more than a song. Lockdown cannot lock up the heart of worship. So let's come back to the heart of worship and make it all about Jesus. Worship him 
and let the evidence be that you live in forgiveness and that you live out forgiveness, that you live in reconciliation and that you live out reconciliation, that you live in mercy and that you live out mercy and that you live in love and that you live out love. At the end of the day, Jesus says it's by our love for one another, not by our singing with one another, that the world will see and know that we have been with Jesus, that, that we are his and that he is actively transforming us into his wonderful, glorious, loving and holy image. That is more important than our singing. So what's more important than the act of worship, the heart of worship, which comes from a heart that he has renewed within us. Amen.